I was coming of age at a moment in which men were being encouraged to be more emotionally expressive. So one of the things that had kind of accidentally happened was that my ability to cry um, was actually a kind of boon to my swinging single life. Women responded very positively to these tears. And I, as I say, I'm not sure it ever occurred to me. And I don't, I'm pretty sure it never occurred to me. Until I met my wife 20 some years ago, and we were having our first intimate moments together. I told her, laying in bed, I told her the story of my tragic youth. And as I told it, I let a little tear drop out of one eye. And it seemed to have no particular effect. And then, so I let another one drop. And, <laughs> and that had no effect. And eventually I said to her, you know, this usually, I usually get a little sympathy when this happens. Uh, <laughs> it's, I just, I'm a little kind of surprised that you're having no reaction to this at all. She said, hey, look, uh, you know, I've been around the block. I've been cried to before. Um, the jury's still out on you. We'll see what this actually means in a little bit. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting. And I fell in love and we got married. And um, after we talked about crying for a couple of days, she said, you know, that's the book you should write. You should write a book about tears. Because I had, as it turns out, thought about it a lot, although not uh, not with the idea of writing writing about it, just uh, because one, it was, it was a little strange, my family's relation to tears. It was just a little bit strange. Hey, this is Jesse, and you're listening to Manish. Tom Lutz wrote the book on crying. I say the book because if you've read any modern studies of tears, you inevitably come across a reference to his book. And as we near the end of our crying series, we're going to hear from Tom Lutz himself. Just a heads up, if you've been listening to the show so far, you know that I yammer, and then someone else yammers, and then I yammer again. In this episode... I'm not going to do that. I'm going to shut up. It's a different format I'm trying out, but I think it works really well for this show. I think you'll like it. So, here it is. The third and final installment of Boys Don't Cry. The past in the present. Weeping is a form of demand. It's like, please pay attention to me. Please take my feelings seriously. Um, I need you to notice my pain at this moment. It's the reason why babies cry. They need something. So um, to have your tears rebuffed, that is to have somebody not react to them, is uh, a memorable moment. It's a, it's a moment where you, where you realize the, the boundaries of yourself. A very early memory of crying which is running in from a, 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 a bad event on the playground or wherever we were all playing. Um, uh, boys making fun of me, the other boys making fun of me. And I ran in I, I, to my mother to kind of get some solace. And she said, instead of comforting me, she said, well, of course they're, they're making fun of you. You wet your pants. 
Um, and I had not realized, of course, at that point that I had wet my pants. That obviously, or I would have understood that's why they're making fun of me. And I also didn't realize that I was crying until she said that. And I came to out of this emotional fog uh, and took stock of where I was. And I was wet above and wet below. And I was, and and both of them were were a surprise to me. I think it was four or five. I, I became very interested in Sartre's theory of emotion. He uses the, the fable of the fox and the grapes. The fox is looking up at a bunch of grapes, and the fox wants the grapes, and the fox, you know, understands that he wants the grapes. He tries everything. He jumps. He tries to climb on things. He can't get the grapes. And when he realizes that he can't get the grapes, he says, oh, I hate grapes. Oh, no, I don't care about grapes. I, grapes can go go to hell and, and, and walks away. And Sartre says that's what emotion is for. It's when we, when reality does not meet our desires, we retreat from reality into bodily sensation. The bodily sensation of emotion. way out of an uncomfortable reality. They never praised us um, because they told me later, as I, when I became a parent myself, and I thought, hey, that was weird. You, ne- you actually never said a nice thing about us to us. They said, well, we, we, we thought you would stop trying. It was a a, a moment in the history of child rearing in America. You don't praise the child. In fact, you don't give them any emotional interaction. Best if you don't touch them at all. That it was important to have some kind of intermediary between the parental body and the punishment. And therefore, the, the belt is one way to do that, or the rod itself is one way to do that. It's not me. It's not me spanking you. It's the belt spanking you. It's the belt hurting you. Um, I was never confused as to whether it was my father or the belt. I thought it was my father with the belt. I thought they were a team. I thought they were working together. The earliest description of tears that I found on these clay shards found in the Sumerian desert, the 14th century BC, that's a story of the death of Osiris. His sister Isis finds him dead and is weeping, uh, and those tears eventually bring him back to life. Um, when she's weeping, the, the shard says, is translated as saying, she continued sating herself with tears, drinking of them like wine. And this is the idea of tears as auto-intoxication. You're getting drunk on your own tears. It's a form of pleasure. It's a form of of something very different than sadness, very different than um, than what we usually associate with tears, which is grief and sorrow and frustration and all of the other negative emotions that cause tears. This is tears as pleasure, as as intoxicating. The house was a, a Dutch colonial, um, so it had some dormer windows, and including in mine, um, which I could 
double hung windows. I, I pulled the bottom one up. I could kind of shimmy out the side, sit on the windowsill, hold on to the small roof above me, pull myself up, and just basically kind of jump from the windowsill up halfway onto the roof, land on my on my belly, pull myself up, and I just would climb up, walk across that the roof. Uh, over the peak and down, start down the other side, and there was a tree growing next to the house there, and I could kind of grab onto that tree, hug it, and shimmy my way down that tree, and then head out to wherever I was heading, usually to my girlfriend's, wherever my girl- girlfriend happened to be, and then on the way back, I would just re- go the opposite direction, shimmy back up the tree, walk across the peak of the roof, lower myself down onto my belly, feet dangling, trying to feel out where the where the uh, windowsill is grab grab it with my feet and start lowering myself back into the window sometimes just in time for uh, my father to come down the hall and, and wake us up to go to school what we thought we were discovering in the in the let's say the 1980s about male expressiveness um, the 18th century was way ahead of us. The 18th century man of feeling, the 18th century um, kind of, you know, if you think of the sorrows of young Berther or something like that, where where Berther is just weeping on every other page, and it's a sign of how um, special he is. That was, I mean, Berther weeps much more than any of the women in that book weep. And the same is Henry Mackenzie's man of feeling. The, the, the men are the main weepers. Uh, and dangerously his own same same thing. So we we were we were kind of rediscovering more than we were discovering the, the range of male expressiveness. Yeah, it was it was one night in particular. Came home with a bad report card. This was these were bad days in the house and, and I was um, I was a terrible student by turns I had would have half F's and half A's and then um, my father would get it and he'd beat me up and then the next time I would I would go from an F to an A in English and from an A to an F in math I had trouble staying focused on anything um, in school so I, I, I was I was just bad bad student this particular day the report card came in and um, my father was kind of interrogating me about it how could I possibly get an, an A one one quarter and an F the next that, that made no sense and I, I just agreed with him and um, for some reason the thing that enraged him the most was when he would be doing this kind of moral interrogation and my answer was I don't know which was honest I really had no idea why I was why I was the way I was I could not figure it out and I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it um, I spent a lot of time trying not to think about it so he just you know um, had me by the hair um, and was knocking my head against the wall um, at, with each bad answer that I gave him and then once in a while give me the back of my, his hand across my face And so I, I left that session um, noticing that there was some, you know, he had pulled a bunch of hair out and there's some blood on my scalp and I was just, a, was just feeling 
really sorry for myself. I snuck out of the house, which I did a lot, um, climbing out my window and down a tree, and went over to where I knew my girlfriend was babysitting, and went in and just kind of fell into her arms. Um, she was a wonderful young woman. She, I mean, she really was a young woman at that time, and uh, held me in her arms, and I was weeping into her shirt. But. Um, it was a moment that that was that was um, so powerful for so many different reasons, and partly that that kind of understanding that there that there was solace for me out there in the world, even though there was none at home. The way I was feeling about my predicament, uh, I could share with somebody, and they would they would they would agree with me about that predicament. That 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 was that's powerful. Um, Combined with this erotic charge, which I later, as I did my research, realized was is part of the long story of tears. It was it was a little strange my family's relation to tears. It was just a little bit strange. We would be together for Thanksgiving dinner. And my father would say something about, you know, the latest baby born into the family or somebody's graduation or something and, uh, and start to cry a little. And then and the tears would spread around the table and we would all be weeping a little bit. Like Alice's tears when she gets small, ours were our distress and our deliverance. And they were, among other things, our sincere inarticulate attempts to rewrite the past in the present. We, I started to think, well, okay, there's something not exactly right about this. There's something not quite kosher. I was convinced that I was damaged by this relationship with my both my parents, really, but my father primarily. And that that was why I was, you know, in the ways in which I was a bad person, that was why. And so the, the, my, my kind of drug use and my over drinking and, you know, basic, basic self-medication, they, they, these things were uh, the result of that failed parenting. And I, as I say, I'm not sure it ever occurred to me and I don't, I'm pretty sure it never occurred to me until I met my wife 20 some years ago and we were having our first intimate moments together and I was telling her the story of my tragic child as I've told it to you. I was 40 years old when we got together so um, I had fallen in love many times. I do think that there's a, there's a, there was something that felt like, um, you know, that, that Randy Newman song feels like home to me. There's a, there's, there's this kind of idea that something feels like home, uh, as a positive idea for me, feeling like home has never been a particularly positive idea. <laughs> and so, um, uh, I've, I've always, I've always kind of looked for things that didn't feel like home and, and, uh, and, 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 
in uh, 99% of the, of the ways that uh, this can be true. Um, my wife did not feel at all like um, at that home. Um, there, there was a there was a point in our relationship where you know there's no, nothing I wanted more but for him to kind of confess and and plead for my forgiveness. You know this that that kind of like I I see I did it wrong. And in in the t- great tearjerker movies like uh, an Im- Imitation of Life or you know, any num- any number in which parents and children finally kind of resolve their differences. And those moments are moments that just get, you know, floods of tears from the audience. And, and, and so that was the, that was the scene I was hoping for. Uh, there is somebody walking upstairs from where I am right now. Let me go ahead and move into another room. Um, call an alcoholic and um i said you were, you were drinking so much that you probably weren't even aware of how how um, brutal you were being um and he said yeah yeah i, I that's that that may be, you may be right um and that was a moment where we kind of wept together a little bit and it felt terrific to images of perfect role fulfillment. Um, we, we weep when uh, the errant daughter reunites with her mother, when the, when the, uh, when the prodigal son returns, when the, when the teacher um, kind of helps the kids stand up and deliver. You know, these are, these are moments where um, the role is being fulfilled perfectly. We all have these social roles where we all understand at some level what our social role demands of us and we all know that we kind of fail at our social roles all the time none of us are perfect parents none of us are perfect sons or daughters none of us are perfect teachers none of us right whatever whatever our social roles are we're always not quite living up to the ideal and so when we see it represented it can make us can make us weep And then cut to years later, um, and as I as I had started having children myself, and 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 started raising them, I just would all of a sudden the whole thing took on a an even darker tone for me because I could not imagine smacking my daughter in the head. It was just so far beyond. I, I, I just I, I I found it so <laughs> astounding at a new level. And of course, he was my kid's grandparent, and he would sometimes start yelling at them, and they would get really frightened. And um, at one point, I told him, you know, that he's got to stop. He can't can't do that anymore. That um, he was I wasn't going to let him damage them either. And his his he said, well, I think that I did 
exactly what was right in bringing you up. And, you know, you went through this very bad period where you're high all the time and, and couldn't keep a job. And, and, you know, just imagine how bad you would have been if I hadn't beat you. That was an interesting moment. I stopped seeing them as forms of sincerity. I started to see tears as um, as always multiply determined as, as I say, both engagement and escape. I couldn't just assume that they were a form of, of emotional maturity. I had to assume they were both emotional maturity and emotional immaturity. I couldn't assume that they were a form of uh, perfect engagement with the person with that, what I was with. I was probably also escaping something um, with the person I was with at the same time. So that kind of muddled nature, that muddled, the muddled motivations that make for crying, um, I started to, ha- to, to regularly doubt the, the pure motives behind any moment in which I was, in which I was, tearing up that said my kid all three of my kids are big weepers um we we i was just at my son's wedding we all were weeping um we're 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 still a family that interprets them primarily as engagement and primarily as uh as um engagement with the moment and with each other so um uh, i've kind of recovered from the writing of the book and uh have a normal weird relationship to tears again We all have these social roles. We all know that we kind of fail at our social roles all the time. None of us are perfect parents. None of us are perfect sons or daughters. Whatever our social roles are, we're always not quite living up to the ideal. And so when we see it represented, it can make us can make us weep in that interesting mix of longing and regret. That, that uh, is the complex that helps us weep. So I wish you the best of luck. Special thank you to Tom Lutz. If you liked what you heard, you should definitely check out his essay, Floating with Alice, or his book, Crying, A Natural and Cultural History of Tears. Both are excellent. 
Also, special thanks to Shoshana Walter, Rachel Rhodes, and uh, Randy Newman. To find links related to this episode, including Tom's book, go to Manish's website, man-ish.weebly.com, and open the page for this episode. And that's it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.